Hello and welcome to Through the Lens of Recovery, the podcast that digs into the issues, stories and triumphs that surround addiction. I'm Annie Murray, founder of Horizon, a not-for-profit filmmaking program that teaches those in recovery from addiction how to create compelling stories through the medium of film. And I'm Sophie Turton, co-founder of The Joyful, a brand and marketing agency for ethical businesses. In this episode, we interviewed serial entrepreneur Jeremy Jacobs, MBA, a business mentor and consultant and presenter of the podcast, How Not to Run a Business. Jeremy is honest about the challenges he's faced running a business and dealing with substance misuse and talks openly about his journey to a recent ADHD diagnosis. We discuss the impact of addiction in the gay community, the impact that language can have on how we associate with being sober, his personal experiences with addiction and how he moved to drinking in moderation. In this episode, we discuss the language of addiction and recovery from a perspective some may find triggering or at odds with their own experience. Through this podcast, we aim to look at substance misuse, addiction and recovery through the eyes of many different people, including those who have found a different path that works for them. We hope you enjoy this conversation around the language of addiction. So I'm very, very excited for today's guest, um, the wonderful Jeremy Jacobs, um, who I have known for many a year um, and who I've had very amazing conversations with throughout my own um, recovery journey. So welcome, Jeremy. I know you're going to bring some great insights in today's episode about the language of addiction. Thank you very much for having me. I loved how you call me the wonderful Jeremy Jacobs. <laughs> I should maybe think about changing my name. <laughs> no, I'm joking. It's a pleasure to be here. So thank you very much for having me. Thank you. So let's just jump straight in and tell us a quick whiz stop tour of your story and how you came to be here today. So, um, do you want like my whole life journey? Well, no, quick whistle stop talk. Quick whistle stop talk. How did I come to have this conversation? Yeah, so, um, where to begin? Yeah, I, in terms of kind of like my journey, I've been relatively open around my issues with alcohol and drugs in the past, but not like to any great depth. I think this is the first time I've kind of come on a podcast to talk about it in detail, but. Uh, because often the conversations, and, and we might want to come on to this later, around it, I've always kind of like hidden it, particularly in the conversation I'm having in a professional environment. I'm doing air quotes. Yeah. Um, but I, I've always known myself to be this person that does everything to like 110%. And, um, as, and growing up as a child, I always felt looking back, very uneasy in the world. Um, Lack of self-confidence, lack of self-esteem, social anxiety, not feeling like I fit in. And I remember when I was, I can't remember exactly how old I was. I must have been around about 13, 14. I'm going to get my parents into trouble now. And they had a barbecue and they had loads of uh, rosé wine in white plastic glasses. And I remember getting pissed, basically. Am I okay to swear? Yeah. Yeah, okay, go cool. for it. Fabulous. Um, and, and and I remember that experience and this this drug that had altered my perception of the world and suddenly I became com- confident and 
yeah, da da da. And I grew up in a relatively what I would call for where from for the the country we live in a normal existence, right? I wasn't born into great poverty or great wealth. Um, my parents are still together. I had a I had a happy and great upbringing. Um, and the kind of people that I hang around with at growing up in, you know, it would be going out and getting absolutely shit faced every weekend, like alcohol. That was what fun centered around was alcohol. And I would be someone who would always stay up the latest, want to keep on drinking, you know, da, la, la, la. And, and so I, up until a certain age, I never really felt like I had a problem. Um, and then it was when I, and I, you know, and I would phone, I'd go out and uh, on a night out and I'd get really drunk and I'd phone into work, sick the work, you know, next day and do that quite a lot and all that sort of stuff. And it wasn't until I moved to London and I was introduced to drugs through my social network, the people that I hang around with. And I'd always been so fearful. I never, I think I smoked a few marijuana joints, um, like in my sort of, like early 20s and didn't like it at all um and then when i got up to london um i was introduced to drugs and i'd always been so anti-drugs and then like was like well hey these are fun um so for um for context um i am a cisgendered gay man and have always been so and open and so i'm i'm part of the lgbtq plus community and if you're not part of that community particularly with gay men, drugs and substance misuse, um, addiction are a huge, huge problem in our community. Massive problem. Um, and so and so I would I would take drugs and uh, and again it was it was it I was able to stop after the weekend and continue on, but my quality of life was very poor. And then it wasn't until later on when I started my own business and I was in a relationship with someone and they were a recreational drug user. They would use drugs at the weekends. Um, again, you know, they didn't have a problem in the sense of like consistently taking drugs every day. They'd be able to stop and start pretty much at their own free will. And I got into that world and, and then it became, and then we ended up, splitting up and that relationship was very toxic in my opinion and abusive um, mentally and physically um, on both sides and when I ended up uh, leaving that relationship the impact on my mental health was monumental like I just went into this incredibly dark place and I felt I just felt awful. And so what I did was I used substances to mask, to avoid, to numb, all that sort of stuff. And then over the years, it just became a real problem. Um, yeah, I think that I think I'll leave it there. It's like it went on for a long time. And I, I know we'll get into probably more detail about that. Um, and it's only in the last few years that I've been able to get myself into a place where I personally don't feel like it's an issue anymore. Like I haven't taken drugs for a long time. I don't have any, I don't thankfully have any 
kind of cravings or feel like I want to. There might be the odd time when I'm out having a bit of fun, but like I feel I haven't used drugs for a long time. So I'm comfortable in that space, but it's still like my brain is still the way it is and I've still got issues and I still have to, you know, be careful around all that. So I feel like I'm talking way too much. No, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a great story. And I think, you know, I, I can resonate with it. I think both Sophie and I took a intake of breath at one point because we, I think we feel it. I think we can, mm. sh we can share in a story. It might not be the exact same story, but we can all resonate with someone else who's been through similar things. Yeah. So I really feel your story, but I'm, I'm really intrigued as to how you with this this problem, this really, really big problem, how you got into recovery. Did you use a fellowship or any groups at all? Yeah, it's I I I have me and Sophie have talked about this in length. I have some issues around the language of recovery and addiction and all this sort of stuff. So for me, I'm not sure. I haven't found a way to say it yet, but to that point where it feels like it's no longer an issue and I'm kind of more connected with the real Jeremy, the one that wouldn't want to harm himself or treat himself in this way. From that perspective, um, like how I got there, I did, I did uh, for a number of years, for a very long time, was in and out of a 12-step 12, 12 programs. And with varying levels of success. And it was probably about three or four years ago that I decided that I was no longer going to use that, choose that path. And it's incredibly important for me personally to say that that is not a judgment or a reflection on that program because I have dear friends who rely and are part of that community and it has saved their lives. Yeah. And it's taught me so much about myself going through that process. Mm. But for my own personal reasons, which I we, I spoke to Sophie prior to coming here, I don't want to talk about because they're personal and I don't want to affect other people's view of that program. I cast no judgment, but for me, it didn't work. But I was in and out for it for years because I didn't feel like I had the confidence and ability to say, actually, do you know what? This isn't working for me. And I didn't know where else to go because no. I think that's what's great from, from my perspective about a 12-step program. It's free. Mm -hmm. It's readily available. And the people in there are fucking amazing. Mm -hmm. So someone can rock up with a problem, with you know substances use problem, and be in relapse or whatever. And they can find somewhere that they feel safe, they listen to, you know, they can start that journey themselves. But there was just something that wasn't working for me. So I went off and found a different path. And that was, for me, was very much around, I was in therapy. I've been in therapy on and off all, like, all of my adult life. I'm a huge advocate for therapy, for talking. I love talking, as so knows, <laughs> about me and my problems and listening to other people and connecting. And, and there's so much in my experience, shame around therapy and all this sort of stuff. And it pisses me off and gets me very angry because, you know, I've, it's, it's really helped me a lot. And, and through working with someone um, who, was, who was trained and was um, experienced in dealing with addiction and substance misuse, um, we were able to explore what was going on for me and... For me, therapy is all about self-reflection and you finding the answers for yourself rather than someone giving them to you. 
And I kept on coming back to, oh, it's self-love and self-care, isn't it? That's the answer. Oh, it's self-love, it's self-care. Every time there was a problem in, in any area of my life. And so I, I noticed that. And then it's like, okay, what does it look like for me if I'm going to if I'm going to put myself first and love myself, would someone who really cares and loves themselves go out and do the things that I did to myself? And the answer is probably not. So for me, it was about, because my self-image, the way I talked to myself, my internal dialogue was very negative. I grew up as a, as a gay man, in the late 80s, like, you know, in, as I'm coming into adulthood, in the late 80s, early 90s, the message is we can't get married, we can't have civil partnerships. Uh, religion, religious people think that we shouldn't, uh, we're disgusting, we're abhorrent. There's places in the world still today where we would be murdered. I can't go to certain countries because my me is illegal. Imagine, I mean, we all have identities and things that we grow up with. But for me personally, looking back, I'm like, no wonder I had such a damaged view of myself because everywhere around me saying, oh, you're wrong, you shouldn't exist. Do you think that that is, or what do you think is the reason why there is such a prevalent drugs culture within the gay community? Um... Again, this is only my own personal experience and view. Um, I think it's, I think it's got a little bit. It's got a lot to do with this shunning of our community. And when I say our community, I'm talking about gay men here, that part of the LGBTQ plus community, because that's all I can talk from. Is that we were shunned, and our existence. And, and rights to, you know, even if you go back to like the Stonewall riots in New York, where that kind of liberation movement <clears throat> happened, you know, they were having to go into bars and hide and and police would come in and arrest them because it was illegal. So as a cult, as a, as a group, we've grown up with this message that that we're not OK. And there's almost like this reaction to go, well, fuck you. Like we're here, we exist. Mm. And it's. I don't know what it is. It's just this idea, because I'm not actually part of... I separate the gay community for myself between the gay community and the gay scene. And the gay scene is that that thing, that public image of people going out to bars and, and the gay community means something very different. And so I don't know what it is about the hedonistic lifestyle, but I do know that a lot of people in my age and generation have a lot of internalised homophobia. Mm. And this this subconscious message that we don't belong and it's in the background and it's all the time and so I guess it's just like it's like I, I don't know it, it, I can imagine most people listening will have that experience um you know pre-recovery where you get to the week if you you know for me you get to Friday night and you, you've had a really tough week and you want that release mm. and I think that's what happens in the gay in in with gay in that gay scene, gay, gay world. It's like this just, I don't know, it's like almost like F you up to the rest of the world, we'll do what we want sort mm. of thing. I don't know. Like a rebellion. A rebellion, yes, Don't we love to you. be rebellious? Yeah, I, I think that's, that's definitely the way, because I'm, I'm from the, the, the gay community myself yeah. as well, and I, you know, I don't often feel like I have to talk about it. But So, so thank you for sort of coming in here and, and, and talking about it, because it's made me realise how important it is to actually say, yeah, I'm out, I'm, I'm gay, I came out when I was 23, and I found it, 
incredibly hard to come out to my parents and I felt a great deal of shame. Mm. And I think I carried that quite secretly for a number of years and mm. I still kind of, you know, hand over mouth, Ooh, you know, I better not tell this or say yeah. that. I better not mention my partner or the word girlfriend. I mean, mm. it's, it's, there is a still a tendency to hide that part of me. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's a part of our very bright, very elaborate and very beautiful community. We are strong people underneath, yet we mm. are living under this rock of kind of shame yes. that we, we battle every day. And I think alcohol and drugs are the perfect uh, example of how you can just let the lid off of that. Yeah. Temporarily. So I completely resonate yeah. with that, Jeremy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I do too, for different reasons. And and I think the word shame is such an important word to speak about this whole experience around um, you know, dealing with addiction, substance misuse. Um, I think and you know, talking earlier when you were introducing yourself, Jeremy, about the hidden side of of your behavior and the professionalism and the fear mm. of what will people think. There's so much shame embroiled within the fabric of our society anyway, but particularly for those of us who feel like outcasts anyway. And yeah. then we reach for the things that make us feel like we belong. And then the shame deepens. And I know that you've got so many, um, sort of a lot of wisdom to share around your own experiences with shame. Yeah, shame. Brené Brown, can't not mention oh, Brené Brown. love Brené oh, Brown. Brown. Hallelujah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> shame, you know, this idea of, um, you know, uh, you know, it, in, a, in our culture, you know, many years ago, if you, if you were outcast from the community, you died. You know, you were sent off and, you know, shame and rejection equal, equal death. So I think it's definitely ingrained in our, in our psyche. Um, and shame, I can't remember the difference between shame and yeah, is it, guilt is, she, I think she says, guilt is I've done something bad. Shame is I am bad yeah. and yeah. wrong. Um, and so you look at the conservative... I'm talking about the UK here, the conservative patriarchy kind of world of control and morals and this is right and this is wrong and you shouldn't be doing this and you should behave like that and, you know, you shouldn't be gay, you shouldn't be able to have mar get married, you shouldn't be able to have children, should, 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 you know, all that world. Mm. Um, and so it's understandable why... You know, we feel shame when we do something which we feel isn't aligned with the rest of our culture or our society. And and when you were talking, this when I worked in digital marketing in the early sort of mid two thousands, there were a lot of my peers, let's say. Some of them quite senior. I remember being in a house party once with some people. No names mentioned. Um, and they were all um, hoofing up lines of MDMA and coke mm. and partying till four or five, six, you know, the next day. And these people are, you'd look at them in public and they are, I'm doing air quotes, respectable members of our community. Right. But they never talked about it. They, you know, they didn't maybe didn't have a, as much of an issue to the point where they needed to kind of go and seek help. They were able to manage it. Um, but they they were still doing it. And I, there's, we all know 
that everyone out there has got a secret life. Well, that's it. There's a lot yeah. of people who function as addicts, isn't yes. it? So let, let's talk about that for a bit because functioning addicts, I was one for many, many years before I was quite obviously street homeless and mm. an obvious down and out addict. I looked like one, I lived like one, yeah. and it was obvious. But yeah. when you're a functioning alcoholic, you have a job, you have a home, you have mm. friends even, sort of barely. You have a little bit of health, but you, what you don't have is that control over the substance that you need every day in order to get through, survive. Yeah. We were talking about dependency mm. earlier as well, when your body is dependent and you can't just stop just like that and that itch. But what, what is your perspective on words such as sort of functioning addict or recovery and sobriety? All of these very obvious words in this field and industry mm. that we <laughs> find ourselves in. My personal view is mm. that they are very charged with a lot of meaning and judgment and that kind of thing. Mm. If you look up, I'm, I'm a big fan of going and looking up the words in the dictionary right. just to get a sense of okay. what the actual word means. Mm. Um, I did, you know, look up, looking up addict. I, I can't remember what it said, but it's very prescriptive. It's very clear on what that is. And I was I was interested because some of these words do do invoke um, negative, um, you know, negative emotions in me. And so avoiding things like the word sober for myself, I don't like referring to myself. Like for me at the moment, like I still have, I've managed to find a way to be able to continue to use alcohol um, in a way that isn't a problem for me. Um, but things like functioning addict, I think these words can can put people off. Because if we say the word addict, what what is that? What does that conjure up? Can I just say yeah, I please. have googled this because you've got my mind whirring yeah. there. So, um, an addict. Uh, the meaning of this is a person who is addicted to a particular substance, typically an illegal drug. Right. Okay. Yeah. So we we know that. Um, but the informal is an enthusiastic devotee of a spe specified thing or activity, a self-confessed chocolate addict. Exactly. See, what? and I have a problem with that anyway because of this. And I think one of the biggest issues we as a society face in the UK is, uh, especially after COVID, is uh, is alcohol. I'm going to use the word abuse, even though I know that it's completely charged, and I, <laughs> I open up that to have a reaction mm. as you as you see. But one of the things that really frustrates me in this conversation is um, the the kind of the double standards and hypocrisy that I see in this conversation generally within this culture, whereby again addiction is just illegal drugs. Oh, and legal drugs <laughs> that we are that we can tax <laughs> that we can bring as part of yeah. our system. That's a totally different thing. And in my own experience, there's been this kind of idea of, well, you're not you're not really British if you can't drink. Why can't you drink properly? Drink properly. Oh, the Brits abroad. And there's yeah. another one. Oh, yeah. then, you know, but then louts, you know you, you end up ha having a problem with an addictive substance ends up becoming an addict addiction in that moment, and then it's like oh, you should be able to handle your drink better or like you're completely outcast. And and I use this example when I talk about this a lot of you could be sitting in a pub drinking 15 pints, going to the toilet every half an hour to do a line of coke and that is societally relatively acceptable. Someone sitting on a bench as, you know, you were just talking, Annie, about mm. your experience mm. of being homeless and, 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 and an addict, drinking from a bag, as the kind of stereotype and doing crack cocaine, which is the exact same chemical compound yeah. as powdered cocaine, just a different format yeah. and hits you harder. Absolutely. 
and you're a societal outcast. Mm-hmm. And that, mm-hmm. that, for me, that's where the problem lies, that, that where we've got this total double standard and it's a complete, it's a complete idea of if you're an addict, this is what you must look like. Stereotypes. When actually, yeah. if we open the language out a little bit more, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, Jeremy, if, if we make the language accessible so that everybody on the spectrum, whatever that may, wherever that might be, wherever they might identify themselves as having a challenge might sit, has access to support and acceptance, yeah. then it would be a whole different situation. Yeah. No, I think, you know, I, I've, got a, I've got a real passion for language <clears throat> in the sense that I'm very interested in how words impact humans. When we say a certain word, we get triggered. And there's a lot of language around addiction, um, addict, sobriety, sober, recovery. Like you could, there's a long list of words that we use to label people. And we've heard the, the dictionary definition of that. And then we hear the different versions. And, and, you know, if you speak to someone who might be quite conservative and you say, what's an addict to them? They'll talk to them in, about them in, in an incredibly derogatory way, Ex- yep. you know, yep. and, and it's, and that is what I think the language for me, it's not about the words to, to use to describe people. It's the individual. How are you, what are you dealing with? How is this affecting your life? You're a human first. I remember reading about a person first language. So uh, someone who is um, impacted by substance misuse rather than addict. So you're human first. And, and, it, and I think this language can put people off. So, for example, cut this out if I'm not allowed to say it. In, in 12-step programs, they'll often say, hi, my name is X and I'm an alcoholic or an addict. Mm-hmm. Now, that's the, the way that it's done. I question, just question, whether or not that, for people in the early stages of recovery, is a, is a barrier. Because they might associate addict with a certain type of person, a stereotypical person, and through their own experiences, be a barrier. I don't know, but that was my experience because I got really triggered by that word. So it, it just makes me wonder. I don't know if you... It's, well, that's really interesting. So the first, I remember the first time I had to say it. Mm. And I remember feeling like I was choking on the word, like it didn't fit with me. It didn't fit with me yet. Yeah. But as soon as I said that word, and you could see the room kind of not even reacting to it. Mm. So I thought, hey, this is all... I can say this word. And actually, I u- the use of language like addict and, and um, you know, every, all the words, all the words were used in those rooms. And I was in the rooms for a year and a half before I decided to to find another, okay. you know, another f- pathway, should we say. Yeah. But going back to, to the words used, homeless addict was a part of my story. And I don't know how mm. what other words I can put across the table at you to describe how it was. It was, that's what it was on paper. Yeah. Um, I could fancy it up with some prettier words. I don't know. Uh, I haven't found them yet. But, you know, after a while, I decided that I could give those words, say, for example, to you or this room here. And I can give you the word homeless addict homeless hopeless addict I used to say and I still do say because I'm giving you those words but it's your responsibility it's your brain that can decipher what to do with those words if you want to stereotype me that's fine um but what I do is I say those words and I have this deep immense sense of pride because I have lived it I've been there I remember every time I put my head on that concrete 
every time I had a strip wash in one of those freezing cold bathrooms along the seafront, you know, 6am when they first opened. Um, you know, I remember every detail. I remember the friends I've lost. I remember the lifestyle that I led and how hard that was. And I'll, all I am is proud. And it's funny how that links to the, the pride, the gay pride. I'm, I have homeless addict pride. <laughs> and I will use the words that I want to use. But I understand that when we throw those words out, you know, it shouldn't be our responsibility for other people's stereotyping of us. No, perhaps. no. And I love what you said. You know, I can see it. I can sense it. Your, you know, your, the pride, the, the journey you've been on, you know, I, I have not, I've not experienced that. And to see you sitting here today where you are is so inspiring. Well, I'm not your stereotypical homeless addict, right? <laughs> exactly. I mean, I've but... got a suit jacket on. Hey. <laughs> well, <Wow. Wow. laughs> never um, And I... it's in, just, just can I just finish by saying that is, and it's and it's empowering. And you found that empowerment yes. in the language, and I completely agree with what you've said. I think like, the power in the words are yeah. there to be found if you yeah. choose to. In um, the same way that that gay people have reclaimed the word queer. Yeah. Like, for me, I don't like that phrase and I don't call refer to myself, but I don't judge people who do. But it's that reclaiming of the stigmatized word. And yeah. for me, taking the power back and saying, no, I'm going to put my stamp on it or whatever. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, that's what I see. It's funny because my mum says, oh, I feel a bit queer today. <laughs> and it always <laughs> makes me laugh. <laughs> I love that. And I think that a really important message that's come through listening to both of you sharing is that language is really important and it does mean a lot of things to different people and everything about everything in human life is a spectrum and your experience was on probably the most extreme end of that spectrum mm. there'll be people listening who you know maybe even just drink once a week well that's when what they I do drink that's they where get I started and they feel, exactly yeah, that was part of my journey really yeah. really and like and that's where for me I, I have stopped before getting to that point yeah but I because of listening to podcasts like this, because of reading books of stories of people, yes. I could identify myself in the process. It's, and I think I know, the reason I want to say this is because I didn't, I never thought before, again, because of the language of addiction, I never, I kind of in my head thought people just sort of woke up one day and they were on the street. I never realized it was mm. a spectrum. It is quite process. like that. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, but I never realized that like at, at some point, that person was going to work. At some point, it was just a beer in the pub at night. Mm. It, you know, at some point, it was, it was the first drink. Yeah. At some point, and it's like, and mm. so for me, it was so helpful to be able to to see myself in that journey mm. and go, shit, if I don't do something about this now, that's where it could end up. Yeah. And I think that's that's the message that I really want to bring to to this conversation is just wherever you are. You know, if, if you're listening to this, if you can identify on any part of this mm -hmm. spectrum, that is so valid. And however mm. you want to describe that experience is so valid. Mm. And I, I always love that um, the whole thing that I saw an advert of this, this young child and they're all dreaming up what they want to be when they're older. And one of them says, when I grow up, I want to be homeless. I want to be an addict. I want to be... And it's really hard hitting because you wow. would never, yeah. you know, you would never. I never did, you yeah. know. It's, it's one of those things you don't expect it, but it happens. Shit happens. Mm. And yes, there are markers along the journey. But do you know what? I, 
there's not one point of that journey where I decided to listen to a podcast or put my bury my head in a book or take myself to a meeting. I skipped by all of those things and I found myself there without the choice to kind of go, oh, I see where I am on this journey. Mm. I could end up there. So perhaps that the idea of, 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 of stories that are at the extreme but that have been brought back to some sort of normality are the ones to kind of go, well, this is how it could be. Mm. And that this is my experience of mine and the power of my story. This is where it could be. If you're a functioning alcoholic at home at the moment who can't really go a night without a drink, I would suggest trying to, you know, listen to a podcast, burying your head in a book, speak to someone with a bit of experience. We're harmless people. We only want to help. Mm. You know, but we're not going to preach at you. We're not a cult. Yeah. It's the other thing. The AA is, you know, the fellowships are a cult. Yeah. What's your take on that, Jeremy? Well, I think, yeah, it's where it, when, whenever someone goes off and does something and gets part of a group and then comes back happier yeah. and then yeah. everyone oh goes God, God what they've done to you like because people can't figure it out and they think it's part of cult I mean yeah I mean I've never I've never come across I mean I don't I haven't partaked in 12 steps for a very long time but even when I did I didn't feel like it was a cult at no. all mm. um, it's yeah, it's it's, but uh, people look at things in very weird and strange ways, don't they? I, I think it's it's a, it's a way of them actually excusing themselves to go. You know, yeah. it's like saying, "Well, that's a cult, so yeah. therefore I won't go." Yeah, that's yeah, religious, yeah. so therefore yeah. I won't partake. Yeah. And they will give themselves reasons. We all give ourselves reasons. It's fear, really. exactly, it, exactly. Or you, you know, for me, it was always like, "Well, I just want to carry on doing what I'm doing. I'm quite oh, happy yeah. the way I am. So why would I want to upset the I, apple cart? I was getting what I wanted out of out of life. Yeah, and yeah. And, and, and and screw everyone. I else. never wanted to give up, and I remember thinking, I, "I'm never." gonna give I'm never gonna give up mm. but there does come a point where and what's the famous phrase I was sick and tired of feeling sick and tired yeah. Yeah, 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 and it yeah. does get boring it gets so yeah. boring and when you realize there's no way out there's no other it's just like groundhog day over and over mm. and over and you know that it takes a massive amount of thing and there is a pivotal moment there's a moment of clarity and I'm interested if you have a moment of clarity in your story where you did decide hey I need to switch this around no, it's an sh- honest answer. That's interesting. Yeah, um, because I, I was, yeah, no, I never really did. Um, it was more, I think, I think the biggest shift for me was when I last year I was diagnosed with ADHD. Okay. And I, th- and the the biggest moment of clarity was um, was was realizing that I might have been spending a lot of my years treating the air quotes wrong thing. I, I'm limited in terms of my knowledge around this. I did do a, a, a short course recently around understanding ADHD. Um, and, and you know, the statistics are there in terms of um, someone with ADHD is two to three times more likely to have a substance misuse disorder. Um, and that, and that they're actually suggesting that when people come into recovery programs, they are uh, assessed for ADHD because they they mm. do live together very okay. very closely, and this and the symptoms and the way it operates in the brain apparently again do your own research. I'm limited in my knowledge are very similar. So for me, again, it comes back to. Like, rather than the label, what is the problem and what, what's the impact on my life? Um, because now I'm being treated for ADHD. I'm noticing that there's there's an impact on my, on my you know, using of alcohol. As I say, I haven't used drugs for many, many years. 
Um, I still do drink alcohol in a very different way, and I'm way more conscious of how I am, you know, what how I'm using it, and it's and it's become very different. But as I say, like with having a knowing, I've had a I've always known I've had ADHD as a as a kid. I've always been very hyperactive and and impulsive, but I'm starting to get support for that. I feel in the right way, and I feel mm-hmm. like going down the addiction route is actually something which may have done me harm. I don't know, but again, that's my own personal experience. I, I heard something there that that I am really, I would like to delve into if I may. It's about the fact that you still drink alcohol and yeah. you feel in control of that. That's, that's yeah. totally fine. You know, we're, yeah. not, we're not judging. It's, it's absolutely fine. That you, but you chose to give up drugs, which was your problem area. Mm-hmm. Now, there's many people that I've come across, and I would say the majority of people, including myself, um, who find themselves in recovery and they just know, I don't know about you, Sophie, but you know if you go to pick up one or the other, it will lead to one or the other. So mm-hmm. if I picked up a bag of cocaine, yeah. it would lead to drinking. If I picked yeah. up a drink, it would lead to a bag of cocaine. Mm-hmm. So there's a, probably a lot of people out there that would identify with, with that. Lesser would identify perhaps with someone being able to control or feel they control control one or the other and, and yeah. not touch the drugs does it not put you a little bit uh, you know ah a scary risk do you feel at risk by by having a drink here and there no. that it won't gateway into drugs no not at all um the biggest shift for me um i mean it's 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 evident in the fact that i i've had long periods of abstinence over the last few years um very long periods for me i remember when i first started on my journey of exploring Um, my substance misuse issues I couldn't go for more than a few weeks without alcohol Mm. the idea of going to a pub Mm. was like what (laughs) and I know plenty of people in my life you see it dry January the comments oh I'm three weeks in oh I could never do it I fail after I used to fail after like a few days yeah and so and so that was me that was my reality and I had to say long periods of abstinence years you know year seven months six months and I haven't touched drugs for a long time, and and I have been using alcohol. I say using because it is a drug, and I haven't picked up any drugs, and I have had no cravings whatsoever mm. to use. And the biggest the biggest shift out of all of that was entering into a new relationship with someone. Mm, okay. um, yeah, that was when the shift changed, and um, and I noticed very much around that. That it just—I mean, I, I, again—the the important thing to mention about the the alcohol, the alcohol for me is that I didn't want to spend the rest of my life going to a meeting three times a week and subscribing to a certain program. Again, no judgment. And actually, do you know what? I really struggle to say that out loud because mm. I spent so many years in that environment that I feel like. Oh God, I'm going against the betrayal. grain, and, you know, betrayal. <laughs> yeah. Or what are you, what are you doing? You know, you, you, you're, you know, you could be affecting. Like this is my journey, it's, it's yours, my absolutely. life. I do what the fuck I want, and that's and that isn't like a sort of fu. It's like it's really important for me to get to a place where I feel comfortable and confident with my path, and it's taken me so long to get here, and so. For me, the journey now is like when I talk about drinking now, I'm talking about maybe once every few months, um, sometimes more, sometimes less. 
But and sometimes I do go out and drink and I do probably drink more than I set out to do. But I'm not I'm not harming anyone. I never get into trouble. I remember stuff. I don't argue. I don't fall over. I don't smash stuff up. Anything like that. There's no negative impact for me. And, and there you hasn't can put been. it down. I can put it down. Yeah, yeah. and that—that's that's what I can't that. do. No. <laughs> but this is but, well. This is the interesting thing. Yeah. So I remember someone in in an A years ago saying, "Well, maybe you're not an addict." Okay. And then when I was diagnosed with ADHD, I'm like, "Well, hold on a minute. Is yeah. it the fact that I've got ADHD? I don't have addiction issues. There's a comorbidity. Morbid, I can't say it. There's a link between the two. That's a better way. I can't talk today. <laughs> is it? Is it the ADHD? Yeah. Rather than being being having addiction issues, because there's definitely a, a correlation between the two for me personally. But once I was diagnosed and started to get treated for ADHD, then then it changed. You managed me. to cope, yeah, exactly. and, and it became less of an issue it, because you had more control over your own mind, perhaps. Yeah, your mental and health, I, the stigma and the feelings around it all, which I think were feeding into it. I don't know the answer. All I can go on is the evidence mm. of what has been going on in my life. And I don't, please, I really don't want anything I say today to encourage anyone to mm. think that they less of a, do you know what I mean? Like, because if this was me listening a few mm. years ago, go I've on. gone, oh, okay, well, I'm not an addict. I've got I ADHD. Could try it. Yeah. So it's fine. Yeah. yeah. So off yeah. I go. <laughs> like, this has taken me years to get to where I am. And, and, and it's, and I'm really mindful and so, um, aware of, you know, people in the early stages when they're still in what Twelve Step would refer to as active addiction. Mm -hmm. I'm really mindful about mm. that, and I want to be careful. But I also want to show up and tell my story, my journey, and your differences, and my differences. Yeah. Yeah. And would I like to live a life of complete abstinence from alcohol? Yes, and I'm working towards that. I know in my own way the mm. time amount of times I drink and the amount I drink is definitely honestly if you'd know me 6 years ago and you mm. see me today I'm like a completely different person. I think that's I think that's a really inspiring and important message. Um I describe my own journey as an investigation. Um, <laughs> yes. I love that. And I really I've had so I sort of started my investigation into my alcohol and drug use and misuse about five years ago and I've had many twists and turns many yeah. I don't even wouldn't even call it relapses I would call it um furthering the investigation experiments, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, experiments. More, more, more data sets yeah. um until the point of uh my current situation is the data shows me that this really doesn't work for my life. And uh, mm. unlike you, I don't have the off button and it causes really huge issues, actually. Mm. Thus, the choice is, I just don't need that. That's not to say that's always going to be the choice. There might be another experiment mm. in the future. And, and I think we've spoken a lot before about this language, this kind of more almost playfulness with the human experience and the human condition being really... Um, helpful, emotionally helpful, because it's not, I'm not bringing shame and regret and guilt and all of that heaviness into it. I'm going, okay, you, you know, I, I am a human being. I am flawed. I make mistakes and I'm going to learn from them and grow from mm. them in whatever way works for me. And I think that's something that's really coming across in this conversation is 
what works for you, the language that works for you, the the journey that works for you, the you know the studies and investigation that work for you. Yeah, Yeah. I mean we're all different, and 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 certainly in in my case, um, you know, if if I was sitting here a few years ago thinking, oh. Quite like what this fella's saying. It's giving me an excuse to perhaps mm. go and try that. I mm. might try that. But one of the <clears throat> things I've done throughout my recovery, <clears throat> excuse me, is that I fast forward after one sip. I'll contemplate that drink for a long, long time. Don't get me wrong. I'll buy it and I'll sit and stare at it and I'll, I will covet it. And <laughs> I will look at it and I'll think how wonderful and empowering this is and how in control I am. But then I'll fast forward in my head a sip, a minute, five minutes, 10 minutes, an hour, a day where I, you know, have my hangover and I can't, I can't get through that. And I want, an, so I continue fast forward a week. Ooh, I'm still there, you know, a month, a year, I'm still there. And you know what, in probably much less time than it actually took for me to go from a normal functioning person to a street addict, I think my life would disintegrate just like that. And all those years of work and, and the, 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 the toil and, and turbulence that we go through to get to a place of owning it and controlling it is all unraveled you know and although we're not starting from the beginning we are technically physically starting from the beginning and mentally you have taken a giant leap back but you've got to consider the amount of work that goes right back in there again so a tip for anybody who might be sitting there (laughs) listening to Jeremy and going yes because I would I would have I think you know part of me thinks that sometimes but I will fast forward and I'll always fast forward and it never ends well Mm. (laughs) yeah Yeah, I think if you in my experience and everything that I've read about if you have the 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 programming in your brain whereby Mm. one drink never ends in one drink and always ends in many blackouts you know the last time I drank I had to be carried home and woke up really severely having hurt myself um hence why I was like ah the experience failed enough (laughs) Um, yes. failure. <laughs> um, but if if you have had if that is your pattern that is your brain's pattern and nothing is going to change that mm. like the brain is an incredible thing and that is the pathway that has been created and mm. that is the pathway that will be recreated yeah. it doesn't sound like that's your pathway mm. and I think that's a big difference and there's a real importance in we all have different brains we all have different pathways um, and actually that leads me nicely to a really important sort of last question for anyone listening. Why is it important, Jeremy, to give people the freedom and flexibility and support to be able to choose their own language, to be able to tell the story that is their story that that, that matters to them rather than buying into the narrative that we all kind of have in our, our collective opinion? Mm, mm, good, deep question. It was um, great, wasn't it? Deep. <laughs> I, I did a my um, dissertation for my master's degree last year around um, LGBTQ plus authenticity in the workplace. So I know a little bit about authenticity and what it means to show up authentically in the world. And we are all, every human is so unique and different, mm. wonderfully so. Yeah. We all have our own experiences. We all have our own hard wiring in our brains. We all have our own sense. Like, you know, we are, I'm not going to hammer that home point home anymore. And, and so for me, I understand the importance for us. And I do know it's a very privileged position to be in, to be able to show up authentically and be ourselves and tell our story without fear of shame or judgment. Mm. When I say fear of shame or judgment, 
it's be, for me, it's becoming comfortable with the fact people are going to judge me. Mm, and yeah. and it's questioning, right, hold on a minute. Like, if if this person, there's a quote from, I think it's from uh, Dr. Seuss, if they mind, they won't matter, and mm. if they mind, they matter, they won't mind. Yeah. Something like that. Love it. So, um, and... And so for me, that is really important. And RuPaul says, um, uh, what is it he says? He says something about if they ain't paying their bills, if they ain't paying bills, or something, something about basically if they're not paying you money, then the opinion doesn't matter. I mean, obviously it's slightly different version. Wow. Just throw, throwing in a bit of uh, RuPaul. I can't remember the exact phrase. But um, it, it was very, it's just that idea of, um, you know, the people that are close to you and care about you and love you are the ones who are unconditionally going to be there for you. Like I have an inner circle of friends, Sophie included, who no matter what, I will stand by you and and be there for you, whatever happens. And so, so for me to be able to come here today and to share my story mm. authentically, that's true to myself and without any fear of shame or whatever... Those words and those labels have stopped me from doing that for many, many years because of fear of judgment. If I call myself this, what will people think? Because when they hear a word, we all have words that when we hear, an image comes to our mind. Yeah. And for example, unfortunately, addict is one of those and the judgment that goes around it. Mm. And, and, uh, and for me personally, that has stopped me from sharing my story. Mm. And the only reason I came here today is to further the conversation because there are millions of people out there in this country who are struggling right now with addiction, mm -hmm. with mental health issues, and I'm, excuse my language, fucking sick and tired mm -hmm. of this world that we can't stand up and go, no, 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 I'm not listening to that anymore. You need to start listening to these people. They have mental health issues, da da da, da. Mm -hmm. so, so, yeah, I don't know if that's answering your question. I think, um, yeah, I think, again, it comes back to the importance of self-expression and providing yeah. a platform for people to be their true, authentic selves. Yeah. And, a, and a society that encourages and allows that rather than shuts that down. Yeah, like a, a different narrative. And I like that you bring that to the table and you, uh, you know, I'm sat here in, the, in a room and I'm realising I've not judged you. And I love that I am that person now that hasn't sat here and judged your story before you got here mm. um, and listened wholeheartedly to someone who's got a different recovery path. And I admire yeah. it. Um, I, I can't get down with it myself. I wouldn't try it myself, but I, I really admire that you can. I admire anyone that could pick up anything and then put it back down again because mm -hmm. that's just not me. Yeah. But um, I love it. I love it. And just quickly before we go into the final bit, the rapid fire question <laughs> round. <laughs> I wanted to share something that I shared it with you at like... 12 o'clock last night by a text message um, that I really loved in a book that I'm reading at the moment about alcohol um, and it talks about recovery being recovering oneself, recovering one's relationship to mm. oneself and I really, really loved that. It really resonated with me and it really felt right for what this podcast is all about and the title of this yes. podcast. Yeah. So rapid fire question round yeah oh God, I just wanted to say something very quickly actually um, before you go ahead with that what you just said so the other thing which I want to say is that like and this is what is interesting about recovery for me because I googled the definition of recovery lovely uh, and it says a return to a normal state of health uh, mind or strength because I'd never really thought about what the word meant and for me 
like the life is a journey and it's a discovery and it's as you say an experiment and so I'm constantly looking and assessing and judging whether or not this is working for me. Yeah. So that is a re I just really wanted to make that point because right now I'm sitting here going, this is where I'm at. That may change in the future. And I really encourage everyone yeah. to to continue to constantly do that. Journey and never ends, right? Which never ends. There's until no final destination, dead. mate. We better make this a rapid so, fire. Yeah, exactly. Let's <laughs> rapid fire. Rapid fire away. So Come back oh. one one word. I'm, ner I'm so nervous. Look at him squirm. I love it. The power. Uh, so, Jeremy, what do you enjoy doing in your free time? Um, hanging out with friends, walking my doggies, being with my boyfriend, cooking. What's one piece of advice you'd give someone who is sober curious and in in the kind of investigation? First of all, give yourself a break, and then. Go and go and find people. Um, go and go. There's so many night um, groups and networks out there. Go and find people who are living a sober life, and go and talk to them and hang out with them. I mean, it's we're all. I mean, say we, you know, amazing community of beautiful people that literally just want to help. Yeah, have a peek through the window and have a look. Yeah. See, I mean, I will the say curtain. exactly, and I will say like you know, again those those. Breaks between, and you know, come back in the year, I'm, I'm, I'm probably be like, yeah, okay, I've quit drinking completely. But those periods of so of of abstinence were honestly um, bloody amazing. They're joyful, That's amazing. Times. absolutely joyful. Okay, rapidly on to the next one. Sorry. Jeremy, finish this sentence. Addiction is. <gasps> Addiction is. Oh God! Addiction is challenging. Excellent. Yeah, and recovery awesome. is? Joyful. I love that. What more can we do to raise awareness and support for people who are dealing with addiction? Um, for me, it's, the, it's having conversations. It's having these kinds of conversations, um, bringing, bringing these conversations uh, to the table as much as possible, particularly within professional and business networks. Um, we just got to remove the shame and the stigma and it, it's a it's a journey and it's an uphill battle sometimes but the more we can sit here and go yeah I've struggled with drugs and alcohol I'm not ashamed of myself I'm not mm. ashamed of myself yeah. come at me and tell me I'm x y and z and I'll tell you politely mm. to go away <laughs> and maybe go these away. conversations through podcast is a little peek through a window for, for some yeah, people exactly. hopefully yeah, you know, exactly. So I mean, here I, we are. I love what you're doing here. I think it's, 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 yeah, it's fantastic. Thank you, Jeremy. And our yeah. final little question, little big question. Um, what do you wish you'd known at the beginning of your sober journey that you know now? Think back. Yeah, so um, that, that life, is, life is actually going to be nowhere near as scary or as painful as you think. Yeah. It's, yeah. That that's the definite thing. It's like, amazing, isn't it? It is really? amazing. I mean, I, I hesitate. You know, I do want to reference that. You know, we say sober journey. I'm not at the moment sober in the sense of alcohol, um, but that said, I, as I say, I've had long periods of abstinence, and I still do. Mm. And those those bits in between, you know, there's there's so much joy, mm. and there's so I just yeah, it's just yeah, I just love it. Yeah, life isn't mm. easy, but it gets better. And we are Definitely. able to manage. I Definitely. think it's being able to manage going exactly. forward, isn't Life's it? Life's not easy 
anyway, oh like no. whether you're sober or, or or drunk or whatever, life's a challenge, man. Yeah. And the final thing I want to say about this word sober, which I know we've talked about, mm-hmm. is why are people referred to as sober? Because we weren't, humans were never drunk or like alcohol has never been in our system as our natural state of being. So why do we have to give reference to so you being... So my natural state of being is sober. I know, but why... Mm. But Do you see what I mean? Like, why do we have Ooh. to give reference mm. to, the, to the person being sober? Like, it's different. Like, that's the natural state. Do you know, it's like me feeling like I don't need to announce that I'm gay in a room. It's, it's like you don't go in and announce you're straight. No, do you? exactly. It's why do like... we have to differentiate ourselves yeah. from what is the normal but clean and Sorry. sober it's it's a state of mind perhaps that that we're proud of being yeah, again it's exactly. back to that word proud proud to be those things who knows good debate Love for it. next time perhaps thank <laughs> you so so much jeremy it was um great as always and so full of wisdom and we really appreciate oh, you coming so. on and sharing with us no thank you for having yeah, me yeah amazing thank you We hope you enjoyed this episode. This podcast has been brought to you by Horizon, a non-profit that provides film and media training to people in recovery from addiction. To find out more about Horizon, you can visit our website at www.myhorizon.rocks or follow us on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at Horizon Brighton.